a blessed Sunday, brothers and sisters in Christ. Today, we're going to be closing our series on the Gospel of John. And I entitled my message, Rise Up, Reach Out, because important in the midst of this pandemic is as a church, we will not merely survive, but thrive to do what God called us to do. Uh, many years back, there was this uh, movie called Castaway, where Tom Hanks, the lead actor, uh, plays the role of a FedEx agent who got stranded in a deserted island. And in order to survive really emotionally, he uh, made up an imaginary friend, Wilson, uh, a volleyball, who he talked to and expressed his fears, anxiety, and affections for many years so that he will survive in that deserted island. Survival was the theme of that story. And survival is different for, people, for different people. Like, for example, have you ever heard your children tell you, stop torturing me when you ask them to do the dishes or do house chores? For children, survival is to be able to escape responsibility and just have more fun. For teenagers, uh, survival means to be accepted by their peers. Okay, so they will often uh, get upset when you don't allow them to hang out because they needed that acceptance. Or for young parents, maybe it's wondering after, nights of sleep, uh, after many sleepless nights how to survive raising the parasite you just gave birth to because you know, your baby is always crying, needing your attention, even you are so tired. For parents with teens, it's how not to kill your teenager while they are going crazy and driving you crazy as well. So that was survival. And for a pastor like me preaching on a Sunday morning, survival probably means not being criticized after my sermon for uh, things that I said wrongly. So please uh, cut us some slack. It's all about survival. But survival in the past months have found a new meaning. For you and I, amidst this global pandemic, survival now means not catching COVID-19, not getting sick, not going bankrupt financially, and not going crazy as we are locked down and facing this crisis in our homes. For churches, probably, um, survival meant not closing down totally or giving up the place that they're renting, uh, still having members when people can now congregate because you haven't had a physical uh, contact for months and months, or having some sort of social media presence to hold on to the survival of the church. So COVID-19 has re reduced Christians and churches to what we call survival mode. And that is not a good thing because when your aim is to survive, what matters to you is simply self-preservation. And in that mindset, all you think about is yourself, but not is not what God wants for the people of God or the church. God wants us to more than survive. God wants us to thrive and do His work. And from the New Testament history and church history, we see the church and the gospel overcome wars, famines, and many persecution, thriving to become what it is today. So the church was never exempted from trials and suffering. In fact, it is in the midst of trials and suffering that the church grew to what it was today. So I would like to again remind us, brothers and sisters, that our calling is to be Christ's witnesses, not to be exempted from the troubles of this life, not to be free from worry, fear, anxiety, and suffering, but the question we have to face is, how do we move now from just surviving to thriving as the people of God, to love God and make disciples, to move forward amidst the worsening global health crisis that we face? Brothers and sisters, we are to rise up. We are to reach out amidst this pandemic because that is what we called to do as the church. Let's pray. Uh, loving God and Heavenly Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters 
hearing you from their heart right now, that you will speak to us in a deep and personal way, giving us clarity of our personal calling in you and what you desire of us this morning and all these seasons of our life as we call you the Lord, the Master, and Savior of all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is an appropriate closing selected by the Apostle John to end his book, his gospel. Again, the Gospel of John is a supplement gospel of the, uh, what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in this uh, book, John gives us seven signs to prove that Jesus is indeed the Son of God and also seven I am statements to prove that Jesus claimed that he is God. And the purpose is for them to put their faith in the Son of God that they may believe and have life. But what if they missed it out before and what if they were not able to give a proper response. And so, John gives them the case study of Peter and some of the apostles as an appropriate closing. Because even the very apostles who followed Jesus had the wrong response and was given another chance to make the right response. Okay, I don't know if you have ever had an epic failure in your life that led you so downcast and you think it's the end of the road for you. I remember when I was in college because I really love God, I thought, and I don't want to miss Sunday ministry. Okay, I opted not to attend my ROTC. No, so because I wanted to be in church, I did the unthinkable. I compromised by paying for my ROTC. So that there is this inconsistency that I lived out secretly. On one hand, I wanted to honor God, but the way for me to honor God is to compromise my faith. And so what was the epic fail? The epic fail there is I failed my ROTC. And at the height of the preparation for the high school camp where I was on staff, now I received news that if I don't go to my ROTC that summer, okay, I will not be able to be a regular student on my third year in college. So no choice. I had to swallow my pride, admit my fault to my camp director. This is what happened. I have to go to ROTC, finish it, or otherwise, no, I will not be able to be a regular student. And so, of course, it was tough not only for me, but all the people who were uh, depending on me, the other staff. And reality is, God was teaching me the hard lesson of failure. Right? Because how can you do something for God, yet do it not God's way, but the world's way? And so at that time, it was really an eye-opener for me, a heart-wrenching situation, because I didn't only fail God, but I also failed the people in church who depended on me because I made the wrong choices. And we see here Peter also who had his epic fail and all the other apostles because they were just in the upper room telling Jesus that no, we will not forsake you, we will not abandon you, we will be with you to the end through the suffering and all. And so the next scene is when Jesus was praying at the garden, you see Peter sleeping, and then later on, you see Peter denying Christ for three times. And so in this story, we see Peter disqualifying himself from the leadership even before Jesus tells him, you are no longer part of the team. So Jesus appeared to Peter after the resurrection, and then Peter goes back to being a fisherman. Right? After the first appearance and the second appearance, you see Jesus going back as a fisherman because he already disqualifies himself. So after this, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 21, let me read the passage. After this, 
Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, second one, Nathaniel of Cana, sons of Zebedee, okay, two of them, plus two other disciples, so seven disciples, they were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. It seems like a simple matter of survival. Right? They just wanted to catch some fish to have something to feed themselves. But it is more than meets the eye. Okay? Peter and the six others followed him, discontinuing what they were called to do. Because maybe in their thought, they were no longer qualified to be the servants of Jesus, having done what they have did to betray, deny, and run away from Christ. So they wrote themselves off from the mission even before Jesus did. It's like they submitted their resignation even before they were fired. But we realize that Jesus had exactly other things in mind. Now in this passage, Jesus brings Peter back to his senses. Now notice the irony of this account because they were right back where they started. They were holding nets, catching fish, fishing in the Sea of Galilee. And many years ago, it was exactly in that situation where Jesus called them to drop their nets to follow him and become fishers of men. And there were they again in that same, very same situation. In verse 4, let me read. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some, just like in the earlier passage. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish, just like the first account. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea, just like the last time. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off only. So when they got out on land, they saw charcoal and fire in its place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hold the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. So Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples there asked him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now this was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples. The first time with Mary and the ladies in the tomb. The second time with all the disciples. And this is the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after the resurrection. And so we see here the exact same situation when they were called to leave their nets behind to follow Christ and become fishers of men. And they were back where they were because they have written themselves off from apostleship, from leadership, and they thought themselves probably as unworthy to follow Christ anymore and be his servants. So they were, went back to where they were. Of course, they recruited three more because when they started that time, there were only four fishermen. Now there were seven of them. 
And before, when Peter felt ashamed, he said, I am an unworthy sinner. But right now, he felt ashamed probably because he thought, I am an unworthy servant. So Jesus puts them back to perspective to the point that it broke Peter's heart. So I wonder what things rush into Peter's mind as the things unfold. What flashbacks he saw along with the other disciples. Probably he remembered the call to fishmen that time. Probably he remembered all the times they were sitting with Jesus, eating together and discussing things about life with the other disciples. Or maybe in the upper room when Jesus broke bread and gave it to them. And even now, when the master himself served them breakfast, right? Because he came not to be served, but to serve. And this should already have stirred so many different emotions in Peter's heart and in the disciples' heart. They knew it was the Lord. They dared not ask because everything feels so familiar. So allow me to give you three things to take home. First, what can we learn from this account so that we will not just survive but thrive to be messengers of the gospel? No? First and foremost, we have to learn how to nurture a heart of obedience. Now, in verse 15, it says that when they have uh, finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And so Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my Sheep. Such a touching story of the reinstatement of Peter. But let us understand further what it will mean to us to nurture a heart of obedience. First, I think we have to learn from the failures of our past. Now, failures are a common part of human life. Some learn from their failures and do better the next time. We call this Resilience, the ability to bounce back, move forward, and do better. But others, they end up dwelling in their failures and end up living out a self-fulfilling prophecy. And whichever path a person threads, it will affect how they manage failure and how they live out their lives. So we have to notice the difference between saying to ourselves, I have failed many times in the past versus saying to ourselves, I am an utter failure. It is a world of difference to know that we have failed many times in the past and thinking that we are an utter failure. And probably that was how the disciples felt when they seemingly wrote themselves off from fulfilling the great Commission. Now, Thomas Edison was a great example of this kind of resilience. As one of the most recognizable names in inventive history, Edison's numerous innovative ideas and creations are considered legendary because he had more than a thousand patents and developed groundbreaking technologies. He made the light bulb, the phonograph, batteries, and so much more. But despite the successes that he enjoyed, Edison was a master of failure. In fact, most often than not, it took him thousands of attempts literally to perfect one experiment until it works. And that was the case when he was working on the novel storage battery. Now, according to a close friend, 
Walter Mallory, Edison has already tried 9,000 experiments without finding the right solution to his battery. So when Mallory commented about the lack of his results after 9,000 uh, experiments, Edison replied in this manner, Results? Man, I do have lots of results. Because by now, I know several thousand things that wouldn't work. I'm closer to the one that will. Now, overcoming failure is the key of not thinking we are a failure. Now, Peter and the disciples, seemingly, they haven't had this kind of resilience yet at this point in their life, but they need it, desperately need it. Because Jesus was not letting them off the hook. No, Jesus knew that there were greater things at stake here more than these men's individual concerns and failures because he was going to use them to do his work on a global scale. A matter of world conquest is at stake. So Jesus didn't let them off the hook, but instead he took time to confront Peter right? so that Peter will regain a new heart of obedience. Brendan Manning wrote this way, If Jesus appeared at your dining room table tonight and he came to you with the knowledge of everything you are and everything you are not, total comprehension of your entire life story, every skeleton hidden in your closet, and he will laid out the real state of your present discipleship, your hidden motives, your mixed motives, your hidden agenda, your dark desires buried deep in your psyche, would you still feel his acceptance and forgiveness? And that is what Jesus was trying to do here to Peter and also to you and I, to lay bare what is in the deepest parts of our hearts so that we may acknowledge that we need him utterly. So Peter is, uh, Jesus helps Peter process his failure with the question, the hardest of all questions. Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And he followed up with a required action of obedience. Right? Tend my sheep. The second time, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. And it reflects to us the great commandment. Love God. Love others. If you love God, can you not love others? If you love others, then it must be from your love for God. So Jesus was challenging Peter to live with consistency inside out. And Peter was stricken with grief. And we think maybe because on the third time, it made sense because he looked back as he denied Jesus three times in the past. He was overwhelmed with grief. But I think it was not being sorry for self, but rather it signified that Jesus started to have a change of heart. He was starting to come to his senses that he not need to dwell on the failures of the past, but he needed to gain a new heart of obedience because Jesus is not finished with him. Jesus' plans for them has not changed. And the part of the failures, the mishaps, the misses were all part of the plan. And so it is with you and I. We need to nurture a heart of obedience. Okay? And we do that by continuing to love God and make disciples. Do you really love Jesus more than these? And will you do the job of tending his sheep, making disciples? So during this pandemic, I would like to ask you, brothers and sisters, how have you been developing a heart of obedience to Jesus? Because Jesus never required perfect disciples, disciples who never failed. He never expected us to always be okay when we're not okay. But Jesus required them to be faithful, available, teachable, and responsive. To own up to their failures 
and to surrender to Him each and every single time. And this was the response John wants his readers to make. Now that you know Jesus is truly who He is, after the signs and the I am statements that He is the Son of God, and you have made wrong choices in the past about Jesus, you still have a chance because when you have given up on Jesus, Jesus has not given up on you. Second thing we need to look at is to understand the cost of obedience. In verse 18, let me read, Truly, truly, I say to you, this was Jesus telling Peter, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus says, follow me emphatically. Now we need to really understand the cause of discipleship. Now, we know that Peter, later on at the end of his life, he was crucified upside down, and it was even more difficult than being crucified right side up. Because aside from not being able to breathe, we heard that those being crucified upside down, their entrails gush out of their mouth when they die. But Peter chose this kind of death because he, he felt unworthy to die the way his master had died, right? And so Jesus was clear-cut. Peter, this time, do not run away. Do not turn your back on me. No more um, wallowing in your failures. You need to last the mile. You need to finish the race. You need to count the cost and pay the price because it will not end well for you doing what I have called you to do. And so we see that it is a call of all people who follow Jesus. We are asked to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him daily. And this is my life verse, Luke 9.23. If I had known that it was so difficult, I would not have chosen this to be my life verse in the earlier parts of my life. Jesus never promised disciples an easy road to accomplish the mission he has given to them. He was forthcoming with the problems they will encounter. Right? He said, Foxes have hosts, birds have nests, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. He said, Blessed are you when people persecute you for my namesake, because great is your reward in heaven. And he said, They will be suffering as much as He has suffered, yet they need to take up their cross because if they rejected the Son of Man, they will also receive rejection. Right? And we remember in John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, and when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and many disciples started to leave. They said, this is hard teaching. Who can swallow this? We're packing our bags and going. And the 12 were there. And Jesus asked them, are you also leaving? And they said, no, we are staying. That was their decision during that time. But in every season of trial and difficulty, they have to make the same decision again to stay where God has called them to do. So same with us. Will you stay in each and every trouble? to fulfill what God has called you to do despite all odds? Because we ought to follow Christ despite the problems we will encounter or the suffering we need to face. So Peter was told, after saying, this is how you will die, follow me. Emphatically, follow me. Jesus gave Peter the bottom line. I, it will not go well with you, but no turning back, Peter. No running off, no surrender, no retreat this time around. In fact, if we look at the book of Acts, we see Peter being imprisoned, being beaten up, being left for death, escaping prison miraculously, 
so on and so forth, along with the other disciples. And each and every time, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Such crazy, crazy people. Jesus freaks indeed. And it was no better for the Apostle Paul. Remember, Ananias was told to go to Paul because Jesus will be making Paul realize how much he had to suffer for the sake of his name. And so allow me to read exactly what Paul committed himself to as he paid the price of obedience, right? The cost of obedience. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 29. Let me read to you what he said. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent uh, journeys in dangers of rivers, in dangers of robbers, in dangers from my own people, in dangers with the Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. And so in chapter 12, verse 9, this is what Paul says. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. For the sake of Christ, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is when followers of Jesus obey and sacrifice their lives. That is how the church became what it is today. That's why there's this famous catchphrase, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And indeed, except for John the Beloved, all the apostles perished. They were killed for fighting the fight of faith. Because brothers and sisters, you and I are to count the cost and pay the price, right? And I wonder, what cost is it that you need to pay today to follow Christ, right? What do you need to give up in your life to really obey Jesus? Okay, what do you need to surrender to Him? Or are you still unwilling to give all of these things that the world offers to you so that you may give your life to the one who gave his life for you. Now recently, we have some full-time workers who are you know, going into the mission field, and we need to pray for them because they have given up all to follow the call. Right? We pray for Nikolai and Jen. They're in Davao. Eman and Christine. Uh, they're now in uh, Palawan. And we have another, Lloyd, who will be going back to the field as a missionary. And several Many, many people who gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. Let us continue to put them in prayer. But the question is for us, what is the price you need to pay to follow Christ where you are? And last is we must make obedience a priority in our life. Right? I like to watch this show, Mythbusters, where they uh, try to debunk an urban legend with an experiment. It's very exciting and uh, interesting when they debunk all these urban legends that are spreading. You know, and we have always receive these text messages 
of uh, some things happening around the world. And you go naman to Snopes.com. And when you go to Snopes.com, they will tell you it's an urban legend. It's not true. And make sure you don't forward it to someone else. And why I'm saying this? Because the next part of this passage is a very strange one. It's like Mythbusters in the Gospel of John. Right? It is like it's out of place, but John thought it's important to put it there. Now, in verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John the Beloved, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And so when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he, remain he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Okay? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And so, brothers and sisters, to make obedience a priority, we have to get past the illusion of control. What do I mean? Okay, oftentimes, our real problem is we want to have the joystick, a sense of control, a sense of security, that we can manage and we can do something about it. It's human nature. And probably that's why you want to know all that you can know to have some degree of control. But you are just comforting yourself because control is really an illusion. Right? And now in, with COVID-19 spreading all over, we all the more realize that there's nothing in our control. So stop grabbing the joystick. Start surrendering it to God. Right? Because the pandemic has shown us that there's no rich or poor. No one is exempt of getting sick. Right? There's uh, no social standing that can prevent you Okay, from going hungry or going bankrupt. So control is an illusion that we need to let go. What we need to really do is focus on what God has called us to do. Now, Ravi Zacharias tells us about the, this amazing story of the Christian in Vietnam. His name is Hien Pham. Uh, he served as an interpreter with the American forces. Shortly after Vietnam fell, Hien was imprisoned on accusation of helping Americans. And his jailer tried to indoctrinate him against democratic ideals with daily readings of Marx and Lenin. And he started to question his faith. Maybe he thought, I had been lied to. Maybe God doesn't really exist. Maybe the West deceived me. And so Hien determined that when he woke up the next day, he will never pray again. He will stop thinking about his faith in God. But the very next morning, he was assigned to the most dreaded chore in the prison, and that was to clean the latrines. Uh, that, that is where all the uh, uh, human excrements are. No, he was to clean the latrine. And he cleaned out a specific tin can overflowing with toilet paper and his high caught his attention on English words printed on a piece of those paper and he recognized that they have been using Bibles as toilet paper. So he hurriedly grabbed one page, washed it, and after his roommates had retired for the night, he retrieved the paper and read the words. And written there was these words. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. For I am convinced that nothing 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Him wept, and there was not a more irrelevant passage for one on the verge of giving up his faith. He cried out to God, asked for forgiveness, and for this was to have been found the first day, right? That he would decided not to pray. So every day since, he chose to live by faith, no matter the odds, and stand on the promise of God, no matter the challenges. Right? So that is the same with us. We are not exempt from the troubles of this life. We are to count the cost and pay the price. But more so, we need to stay focused on the mission God has entrusted to us. So Jesus said to Peter, What is it to you, Peter? Follow me. Stay focused on the mission. And this is the last time recorded in the Gospels that Peter blurts out without thinking because this is just typically Peter, the one who raises his hand, can I walk on water too, when he sees Jesus walking on water. The one who blurts out when he sees in the transfiguration, can I prepare tents for you? Okay, the one who cuts the ear of the soldier uh, when he was alarmed that they were arresting Jesus. Uh, that was just his human tendency to act before he thinks. But Jesus addresses his tendencies here. Now, what is it to you? Follow me, Peter. Follow me. Same as in the earlier part. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And so in the same way, we are to be aware of our tendencies and surrender these tendencies of Jesus that veers us off the path so that we can focus and follow Jesus. Right? I remember there was a time in seminary school when I received news from friends from home of the work opportunities that I have missed. Right? I was working in a company. I was up for promotion, but I left to serve God full-time. And here comes the news of the what-ifs and what-could-have-beens. Right? So at that time, I said, Lord, why are you giving me this hard time where I still need to hear this news? And so the assurance came and a reminder that this is not what you are called to do. What you are called to do is follow me. And God reminded me constantly, even today, when I'm trying to fulfill the call of God to impact more churches for disciple-making, COVID-19 happens, I'm still reminded that the mission has not changed, that finishing the Great Commission is still what God has called us to do as his people. So the goal is for us to stay on track, to finish a race, not to veer off the path, to stay focused in making disciples. So brothers and sisters, lay down your burdens. Lay down your worries and fears. Focus on the mission. I love to tell the story of Telemachus to young people, and you have heard me tell this before. And Telemachus was this monk who lived in the 4th century. He felt God saying to him, go to Rome. He was living in the monastery in a peaceful life. He was a nobody. But when he heard God's call, he put his possessions in a sack and set out for Rome. And when he arrived in the city, he saw people thronging in the streets, and he asked, what's the excitement about? And he was brought to the gladiatorial combats where people were killing each other just like a circus in the Colosseum. Right? And people were cheering as people were dying. And he thought to himself, four centuries after Christ, and they still kill each other for fun? What's this? So frustrated and uh, stricken in heart, he ran to the Colosseum and heard the gladiators shouting, Hail to Caesar! We die for Caesar! And he thought, this isn't right. What are you doing? So he jumped over the railing, went out in the middle of the field, stood between two gladiators, held up his hands, and asked them to stop. The crowd protested because they were disturbed of their entertainment. 
And so they shouted, run him through, run him through. And a gladiator, a gladiator indeed came over, hit him in the stomach with the back of the sword, sp- sent him sprawling on the sand, and he got up and ran back and said, in the name of Christ, forbear. Okay? In the name of Christ, stop. And the crowd continued to shout, run him through, run him through. And one gladiator, one thing to please the crowd, took his sword and plunged this monk in the stomach to his death. He fell on the sand and filled it with his blood. And for one last shout, he gasped out loud, in the name of Christ, forbear. And that day, 80,000 people watching were hushed by the scene. They were stricken in the heart. They were affected by what had happened. And soon, one man left and another and another. And it emptied the arena. And history says it's the last gladiatorial contest in the history of Rome. It was one man who obeyed. And it cost him his life. But he made a difference. Now, you and I do not need you know, to rush into a hospital to help COVID patients today because it will spread the disease further. But we are called to follow Jesus today and move past mere survival. There are so many people who need help, so many cries for salvation, so many cries because their stomachs are hungry. We can make a difference. We can nurture a heart of obedience, love God, make disciples, We can understand the cost of obedience. And it doesn't mean an easy life because we have to count the cost and pay the price. price. And finally, we have to make obedience a priority in our life by staying on track and finishing our race, whatever the cost. This is how it would look like for you, brothers and sisters. How do you love God today? Right? And we have said it before and we will say it again to you because this is important. We are to love God by growing in discipleship. Discipleship is your journey towards Christ-likeness. And there's four priorities in Acts 2.42. Word, the apostles' teaching, worship, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. We are to make time to these four things. Do not just attend listen to the missions, turn off your TV. Worship God. Spend time in worship, in learning, in listening to God, studying His Word, okay? Spend time meeting with people in your small group. Spend time to pray more together, attend the prayer huddle. Because we thought when the lockdown started that we will have more time to do all of these things and only discovered that people don't do what we expect. They only do what we inspect. And so that's the reality, it's all empty promises until we really make obedience a priority. Second, we are to make disciples. And that is the horizontal dimension, the loving others part. We are to grow in our disciple making. And if we look at Matthew 28, we are to win the lost, build believers, equip workers, and multiply disciple makers. Right? So if you really want to make a difference, then it's not only good to know it here, but we have to take action. We have to write the list of names of people we want to talk to and reach and minister to. We need to devise a plan when we will call them, how we will relate to them, how will we minister to them. We have to find accountability to talk these things out with. We have to pray and take action. Love God, make disciples, rise up, reach out. Do not merely survive this crisis. Thrive and be the people of God called to be salt and light. And allow me to close today again with one of my favorite passages in Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3. And I'd like you to read it with your hearts right now with me. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great 
a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Yes, Jesus is not done with you and I. Jesus will continue to call to us. Do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Let's continue, brothers and sisters, to love God and make disciples amidst the pandemic because we are to develop the resilience to continue what God has called us to do despite the difficulties surrounding us because Jesus promised to never leave us or forsake us. He promised that He will be with us to the very end of the age. Let me pray for you. Gracious and loving God, thank you for the reminder today that at the end, we are like the disciples. We have our set of weaknesses. We have our doubts and fears. Yet, Lord, you will not tolerate these things to hinder the calling that you have given to us. Instead, you would like us to really rise up and be the people you called us to be. Unite us our hearts as one so that we will love God and make disciples even amidst the uncertainties of these times. We know that, Lord, there is one thing for certain, that Christ is Lord and Savior, and Christ is Lord of all. Lord, may you be pleased next time we sit together with what is in our heart. Help us to live a consistent life inside out. Love God and make disciples. Use us and bestow us with a new heart of obedience. Help us to pay the price in your power by faith. And finally, O oh Lord, help us to make obedience a priority every single day. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessed Sunday, brothers and sisters in Christ.